Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Now, before we begin today, I've got something I'd like to show you. If you've been wondering about how to get more sidecar stories in your life, if you have been wondering about what it's like not just to experience stories, but to tell them, well, might I offer you our new Wednesday show? Everyone, I hope you will join us on Wednesdays because Wednesdays we are starting up a new project called The After. The After is a sidecar stories fiasco. I call it that because there's a show called The After that got canceled after um, they went into production for like one episode. It is going to be an eight episode arc. It's going to be essentially the first season, sort of the pilot season of a TV show, but it's going to be using the game system fiasco. It's designed to tell movie stories. We are going to be using it to tell a show sort of story. We're going to have guests on, and what we're doing with that show is we want chat to be able to have an impact on how that story goes. If you would like to learn more about that, come back on Wednesday, our session zero, uh, where you can learn all about exactly how you're going to be able to interact with it, exactly how the story is going to work. And then the following Wednesday is our first session. The intent is to do it uh, starting at noon Pacific time, as per usual. Um, we may have some weeks where um, our guests might not be able to do precisely that, um, but you will have to keep an eye on the Discord because that is sort of up in the air. I hope you'll join us over there because I'm really excited about it. It is going to be a story about the apocalypse. Myself and Halfbit and our guests are all there. We are all trying to survive the after, uh, the time after the apocalypse, and trying to discover what the nature of the apocalypse was. Because not only do the characters not know, but we as players do not know either. And we're going to be using this as an opportunity to do some real improvisational storytelling. I'm very excited. But yeah, keep an eye on the Discord for that. Go to the Tags channel and choose the Tabletop RPGs tag if you want to keep updated on that. So I would definitely suggest that you do that. Um, we are officially, we've officially wrapped up with uh, the Recetus Arena campaign. It's probably going to be dedicated almost exclusively to the after, at least for the time being. Dahlia says, we definitely do not act like other chat streams. It's super community-oriented and wonderfully behaved, except Tuna. Yeah, Tuna's a rowdy boy, isn't he? All right, rowdy boy Tuna. I was doing homework, but I finished up my first final. Time to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Get yourself an ice cream bar and <laughs> throw down, my man. <laughs> Get yourself four ice cream bars and throw down. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get a round of applause for Tuna, for Tuna, and for everyone else. Mama, Mama's here as well. Yeah, Blue Boy actually is saying he hopes you fail out for whatever reason. He's being a real jerk about it. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Tuna, 
uh, I'm glad you're working hard. And to everyone else who has also had, you know, big school milestones coming up, I recognize now feels like a weird time to be doing school milestones. But um, for everyone who continues to work hard, stay focused, good on you. Well done. Well done. It's important, even though it feels very strange right now. All right, everybody. We talked about it a little bit last week. We talked about research, right? We talked about researching the Greek gods, especially Poseidon. Um, and I know a couple of you have mentioned you actually got into your own research a little bit. Um, you started doing, you know, you started looking around in the in the Greek mythology and starting to understand it a little bit better. What do you think? What have y'all learned about this week? Has anybody taken some real Wikipedia deep dives? Oak says, uh, I was eating a taco. It was messy, so I couldn't type. But now I'm actually here. So howdy. Uh, Oak, howdy to you. It's good to have you here. Are you coming from uh, Are you coming from over on the Sidecar Stories YouTube channel? Did you just stumble in like, I got a taco and I got some things to say. I'm here. <sighs> Where are we? <laughs> now I'm imagining Oak, either that, uh, which I think would fit really nicely into our post-apocalyptic thing, or... Perhaps just as like a, an old cowboy, just like we see a boot fly in through the, the saloon doors and uh, we see you walk in with a taco in one hand and say, It's me. I'm Stoned Oak. I'm here to munch tacos and really throw down. And that's the last of my taco. <laughs> I don't know, baby tyranny. Um, This is called... I guess, I guess this is called like spontaneous RP. Some of y'all may have heard about spontaneous combustion. This is very similar, but you just sort of have a meltdown right here on screen. McNerd says, now I'm going to make a taco for dinner. Tacos are absolutely my favorite. And I will say I've gotten, I'm, I'm going to say, I think I've gotten fairly good at them at a few different styles of them, but man, do I love them. It's, it's perfect. And I've talked about before. I know I'm going to, I'm going to nerd out about world food for a second. Um, I think it's really interesting that so many different cultures have developed a version of some sort of bread product uh, loaded with um, some sort of like staple based bread product loaded with stuff um, often involving like, you know, protein and vegetables and like the different ways that that is manifested all over the place. Um, those different combinations, you know, whether it's tacos or sandwiches or um, the sort of like, uh, you know, flatbread style stuff along with kebabs, um, uh, lavash, that sort of thing. Like, I, I think it's really cool and interesting. Gyros, absolutely half bit. Yeah, gyros, 100%. Pizza, <laughs> just a lot of different interesting versions of it. Um, and frankly, uh, the the folks in um, sort of the the Middle America regions, um, they have like they have really branched out. Anything from tacos to to burritos, which are very, fairly similar, and then you get into something like uh, enchiladas, where they've really sort of like pushed the form to something extreme. Which actually now that's making me think: what if we took some of the other stuff and did an enchilada style preparation of it? I think if we consider the Italians to have sort of developed out pasta. In that regard, I think enchilada and lasagna are fairly similar. I know I'm not breaking any new ground there, but what if we took a sandwich and like, I guess we call them funeral sandwiches, don't we? What if we took, you know, if we took sandwiches and sort of like layered them up and put some sort of sauce over them and baked the whole thing as a casserole? <laughs> yes, those I think that is a funeral sandwich. Food. <laughs> Indeed, gems. Yeah, gems. Have some of your students sort of latched onto that one? <laughs> and uh, hello to gems's class in Romania. How are you all? Food. 
McNerd says, maybe don't even plan a stream. Just set up a camera while you make dinner. Let's see. What would be a good thing? What would be a good thing to make? I mean, I think my strongest two are I make stir fry. Um, I make a like chicken and chicken and broccoli stir fry. Um, and then I don't know, maybe tacos. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Stoned oak. Thanks for the follow. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's good. There's some foundational stuff in there. No, I would make a braised version if I were doing. If I were doing stream cooking, if I were cooking on stream, come on, I I would lay into it. I think I've told y'all about my idea for my 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 sweet sweet food truck idea. Um, it's called Sticky Fingers. And it's called that because all the foods there are on a stick. Because some of my favorite foods are on a stick. Um, I would say kebabs are like way high up there. But also uh, yakitori uh, from Japan and then all sorts of stuff. And then, of course, we can lean into some of the some of the stranger ones. Such as like a burger on a stick. Where there's like, it's like a little bread roll or even like a bread cube if we're trying to be super fancy people. Uh, and then a meatball and then like a... Um, uh, a little cherry tomato and then a little bit of lettuce, a little little wedge of lettuce, all there on a stick, and you get like two or three of those, and then you sauce them up and you munch them down. It's good stuff. Bagels, bagels on a stick. <laughs> it says stoned oak. Hey, why not? Uh, McNerd says corn dogs. I'm sure that one would make an appearance. But uh, deep fried Twinkies says Mr. Halfbit. Certainly possible. Um, but yeah, that's that's the idea. We have we'd have like the staples like yakitori and kebabs, just those ones where they'll always be there. Um, I would love to do a like a version of um, uh, al pastor, but instead of instead of like shaving it all off, you actually just get a whole skewer of al pastor and then you get it with like tortillas on the side. Um, I think that would be really fun. Uh, ooh, lamb biryani. I hadn't even thought about that one. I'm only I'm only super like I'm very lightly familiar with biryani at all. Um, uh kimchi says mirden oh yeah we have a whole bunch of stuff i've already started this is not a thing i'll ever actually do uh unless you know somehow like <laughs> i've got a bunch of money lying around um for whatever reason but it's something i like to think about uh so yeah we'd have the staples and then we'd have the the weird like experimental stuff like cheesecake on a stick and spaghetti on a stick um which i have insisted a number of times would be possible and possibly even good but Look, I can't convince any of the people around me. Y'all, I think it's time we talk to some review, don't you? Let's talk about the chapters we read before. Uh, so last week on Percy Jackson Out Loud. Food truck stories. Um, the shaky wheel. Paella on a stick would be interesting. Yeah, you gotta figure out what to do with the rice. So, um, chapters 13 and 14. Chapter 13, I plunge to my death. In chapter 14, I become a known fugitive. Uh, and I know, let's see, who was it talking? Was it Van Saves Lives? I don't think so. That sounds like almost familiar, familiar, but it doesn't sound quite right. Um, somebody was in, in the Discord, I think, talking about how, um, you know, you wouldn't have naturally come and listened to this, but you read over the chapter titles and it made you decide, you know what? You know what? Yeah, I am going to give it a try. So, uh, chapter 13, I plunged to my death. They're on an Amtrak train because they're trying to avoid buses, right? They've had some pretty rough experiences with buses so far. I think this much is fair. Um, they use the Amtrak train to get to St. Louis. And then they've got a little bit of a sort of a, a layover, I guess. They've got a bit of a stop there before they are going to move on toward Denver. While they're there, uh, Annabeth has this idea. You know what? I want to go see the St. Louis Arch. 
Now, that seems like a big risk at first. You know, why would she, why would be, she be interested in this sort of like, you know, this, this landmark? Like, why would, why would tourism be a thing that's on her mind? But we learn a little bit more about her. She has this drive. It, it comes from being a, a child, um, you know, from, it comes from her, her godly parent. Um, she has this drive to create something, to create something big and lasting, like the St. Louis Arch, you know, something, something notable, something important. Um, so it's, it's about more for her than just tourism, but they end up at the arch. They go through the little museum underneath and I, I, I reminded y'all last week, go to local museums. They're much more interesting than, than you think they are. Um, if anyone has been sleeping on local museums, don't do it. Head over there. Mining museums are especially cool. <laughs> um, as we continue to, uh, you know, watch them as they are trying to suss out, are there monsters around? Grover doesn't smell anything, but then again, they're in this underground museum, and underground it always smells like monsters. Um, they get on the little, they get on the little lift that takes them up into the arch itself, because you can indeed travel up into the top of that arch. Um, I've been up there myself. It's an interesting, it's an interesting experience being in that tiny lift, um, and things seem to be going okay until. They need to head back down. The arch is about to close. Annabeth and Grover get into one of the cars, but there's already a couple of tourists in there, so Percy decides just to wait for the next one. He doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to, like, clog everything up. He doesn't want to take any longer. He wants to get out of here. Um, and so he sends Grover and Annabeth down below. Um, and that's when things really kick off. There's this woman with a chihuahua. She's been sort of floating nearby recently kind of hovering in the background, in the background of all these scenes, in the peripheral, and it turns out it's not just a woman, and it's certainly not just a chihuahua. This woman is Echidna. Like the anteater? No. Like the mother of monsters from Greek philosophy. Philosophy? Mythology. Um, the mother of monsters, and her son, this chihuahua, is not a chihuahua at all, but a chimera. Um, got a, uh, a lion's head and a goat's head, and then the tail is actually a snake's head, um, and this creature does battle with Percy up here. Um, it seems that, it seems that she even got, uh, Echidna even got special permission from Zeus to use some of her, some of her offspring to, uh, uh, to, to come after Percy. Just shows you how serious things are up in, uh, up, up in, um, the celestial realm, up, up with the gods. Zeus is serious about this, and, well, Percy loses. It does not go well for Percy. Percy gets bit, uh, Percy gets burned because the, the snake's head is poisonous, and the lion's head breathes fire, and he loses his sword down below as, as this creature blasts a hole in the side of the arch, and his sword falls down into the Mississippi River below, and... In this moment, he decides he's going to take the plunge. That's where we start our next chapter. I become a known fugitive. And during this chapter, um, he's sitting on the bottom of the Mississippi River. And a couple of strange things are happening. First of all, he's feeling a bit better. He doesn't feel the poison coursing through his veins anymore. He doesn't feel the... Um, uh, he doesn't feel the, 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 the harsh rawness of those burns. Uh, and not only that, but he's breathing underwater. And in perhaps the weirdest development, he's breathing and also, like, seemingly around him 
water is behaving differently. You know, he can sort of feel the pressure, feel the, the, the coolness of the water. And yet when he picks up a lighter off the riverbed, it lights um, and he's able to pick a piece of, you know, trash from the river, a piece of like old burger wrapper and light it on fire. And then when he lets it go, it drifts off and immediately becomes soggy again. Um, very strange, but there's the sword and he's sort of deciding what to do next when he gets a vision the vision says it's not his mother, but it speaks with his mother's voice and it looks like his mother. And it tells Percy a couple of things. First of all, Percy, take the sword. Your father believes in you. And then, um, you know, he asks, are you my mom? She says, no, child, only a messenger. Though your mother's fate is not as hopeless as you believe. Go to the beach in Santa Monica. It is your father's will. Before you descend into the underworld, you must go to Santa Monica. Please, Percy, I cannot stay long. The river here is too foul for my presence. I cannot stay, brave one. You must go to Santa Monica, and Percy, do not trust the gifts. And then says something, but we don't quite hear it. Uh, and that's it. She's gone. But she had said, your father believes in you. And as Percy... Uh, grabs the sword and heads back up above, sort of, you know, crawling out of the river. It is a, uh, there, the, the situation has changed somewhat, you know, whereas in Harry Potter, I think a lot of times we would get this moment and then, you know, he would go back and fight Echidna. No, he kind of realizes he's kind of outmatched here and heads back. Uh, he meets up with um, uh, Grover and Annabeth. And that is where we are. They're on the run, uh, and they manage to get to the Amtrak station just in time, just before the train heads out for Denver. That's where we are, everyone. I hope, you, uh, I hope you've enjoyed being here so far, but I hope you really enjoy our chapters for today, starting with Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Chapter 15, A God Buys Us Cheeseburgers. The next afternoon, June 14th, seven days before the solstice, our train rolled into Denver. We hadn't eaten since the night before the dining car somewhere in Kansas. We hadn't taken a shower since Half-Blood Hill, and I was sure that was obvious. Let's try to contact Chiron, Annabeth said. I want to tell him about your talk with the river spirit. Well, we can't use phones, right? I'm not talking about phones. We wandered through downtown for about half an hour, though I wasn't sure what Annabeth was looking for. The air was hot and dry, which felt weird after the humidity of St. Louis. Everywhere we turned, the Rocky Mountains seemed to be staring at me, like a tidal wave about to crash into the city. Finally, we found an empty do-it-yourself car wash. We veered toward the stall farthest from the street keeping our eyes open for patrol cars. We were three adolescents hanging out at a car wash without any car. Any cop worth his donuts would figure we were up to no good. What exactly are we doing? I asked as Grover took out the spray gun. It's 75 cents, he grumbled. I've only got two quarters left. Annabeth? Well, don't look at me, she said. The dining car wiped me out. I fished out my last bit of change and passed Grover a quarter, which left me two nickels and one drachma from Medusa's place. All right, excellent, Grover said. We could do it with a spray bottle, of course, but the connection isn't as good, and my arm gets tired of pumping. 
What are you talking about? He fed the quarters in and set the knob to fine mist. I am in... Instant messaging? Iris messaging. Annabeth corrected. The rainbow goddess Iris carries messages for the gods. If you know how to ask and she's not too busy, she'll do the same thing for half-bloods. You summon the goddess with a spray gun? Grover pointed the nozzle into the air, and water hissed out in a thick white mist. Unless you know an easier way to make a rainbow. Sure enough, late afternoon light filtered through the vapor and broke into colors. Annabeth held out her palm to me. Drachma, please. I handed it over. She raised the coin over her head. Oh, goddess, accept our offering. She threw the drachma into the rainbow. It disappeared in a golden shimmer. Half-blood hill, Annabeth requested. For a moment, nothing happened. And then I was looking through the mist at strawberry fields and the Long Island sound in the distance. We seemed to be on the porch of the big house. Standing with his back to us at the railing was a sandy-haired guy in shorts and an orange tank top. He was holding a bronze sword and seemed to be staring intently at something down in the meadow. Hey, Luke, I called. He turned, eyes wide. I could swear he was standing three feet in front of me through a screen of mist, except I could only see the part of him that appeared in the rainbow. <laughs> Percy. His scarred face broke into a grin. Is that Annabeth, too? Thank the gods. Are you guys okay? Um, we're fine, Annabeth stammered. She was madly straightening her dirty t-shirt, trying to comb the loose hair out of her face. We thought, er, uh, Chiron, I mean... He's down at the cabins. Luke's smile faded. We're having some issues with the campers. Listen, is everything cool with you? Is uh, Grover all right? I'm right here, Grover called. He held the nozzle to one side and stepped into Luke's line of vision. What kind of issues? Just then, a big Lincoln Continental pulled into the car wash with its stereo turned to maximum hip-hop. As the car slid into the next stall, the bass from the subwoofers vibrated so much it shook the pavement. Karen, what is that noise? Luke yelled. I'll take care of it. Annabeth yelled back, looking very relieved to have an excuse to get out of sight. Grover, come on. What? Grover said. But... Give Percy the nozzle and come on, she ordered. Gover muttered something about girls being harder to understand than the oracle at Delphi, and then he gave me the spray gun and followed Annabeth. I readjusted the hose so I could keep the rainbow going and still see Luke. Chiron had to break up a fight, Luke shouted to me over the music. Things are pretty intense here, Percy. Word got leaked about Zeus. Poseidon and their standoff. Uh, we're, we're still not sure. Probably some scumbag who summoned the Hellhound. Now the campers are starting to take sides. It's shaping up like the Trojan War all over again. Aphrodite, Ares, and Apollo are back in Poseidon, more or less. Athena is back in Zeus. I shuddered to think that Clarice's cabin would ever be on my dad's side for anything. In the next stall, I heard Annabeth and some guy arguing with each other, and the music's volume decreased drastically. So what's your status? 
Luke asked me. Karen will be sorry that he missed you. I told him pretty much everything, including my dreams. It felt so good to see him, to feel like I was back at camp, even for a few minutes, that I didn't realize how long I had talked until the beeper went off on the spray machine, and I realized I only had one more minute before the water shut off. Yeah, I wish I could be there, Luke told me. We can't help much from here, I'm afraid, but listen, it had to be Hades who took the Master Bolt. He was there at Olympus at the winter solstice. I was chaperoning a field trip, and we saw him there. But Chiron said that the gods can't take each other's magic items directly. Yeah, that's true, Luke said, looking troubled. Still, Hades has the Helm of Darkness. How, how could anybody else sneak into the throne room and steal the Master Bolt? You'd have to be invisible. We were both silent until Luke seemed to realize what he had said. Aw, oh, hey, he protested. I didn't mean Annabeth. She and I have known each other forever. She would she would never... I, I, I mean, she's, she's like a little sister to me. I wondered if Annabeth would like that description. In the stall next to us, the music stopped completely. A man screamed in terror. Doors slammed shut, and the Lincoln peeled out of the car wash. Uh, you better go see what that was, Luke said. Listen, are you wearing the flying shoes? I'll feel better to know that they've done you some good. Oh, uh, yeah. I tried not to sound like a guilty liar. Yeah, they've, they've come in handy already. Really? He grinned. They fit and everything? The water shut off. The mist started to evaporate. Well, take care of yourself out there in Denver. Luke called, his voice getting fainter. And tell Grover it'll be better this time. Nobody'll get turned into a pine tree if he just... But the mist was gone, and Luke's image faded to nothing. I was alone in a soapy, empty, wet car wash stall. Annabeth and Grover came around the corner laughing, but stopped when they saw my face. Annabeth's smile faded. What happened, Percy? What did Luke say? Uh, not much, I lied, my stomach feeling as empty as big three cabins. Come on, let's find some dinner. A few minutes later, we were sitting at a booth in a gleaming chrome diner. All around us, families were eating burgers and drinking malts and sodas. Finally, the waitress came over. She raised her eyebrows skeptically. Well... I said, we, uh, want to order some dinner? You kids have money to pay for it? Grover's lower lip quivered. I was afraid he would start bleating, or worse, start eating the linoleum. Annabeth looked ready to pass out from the hunger. I was trying to think up a sob story for the waitress when a rumble shook the whole building. A motorcycle the size of a baby elephant had pulled up to the curb. All conversation in the diner stopped. The motorcycle's headlights glared red. Its gas tank had flames painted on it, and a shotgun holster riveted to either side, complete with shotguns. The seat was leather, but leather that looked like... Well, Caucasian human skin. 
The guy on the bike would have made pro wrestlers run for mama. He was dressed in a red muscle shirt and black jeans and a black leather duster with a hunting knife strapped to his thigh. He wore red wraparound shades and he had the cruelest, most brutal face I had ever seen. Handsome, I guess, but wicked. With an oily black crew cut and cheeks that were scarred from many, many fights. Weird thing was, I felt like I'd seen his face somewhere before. As he walked into the diner, a hot, dry wind blew through the place. All the people rose as if they were hypnotized, but the biker waved his hand dismissively until they all sat back down again. Everybody went back to their conversations. The waitress blinked as if someone had pressed the rewind button on her brain. She asked us again, You kids have money to pay for it? The biker said, It's on me. He slid into our booth, which was way too small for him, and crowded Annabeth against the window. He looked up at the waitress, who was gaping at him, and said, Are you still here? He pointed at her, and she stiffened. She turned as if she'd been spun around and then marched back toward the kitchen. The biker looked at me. I couldn't see his eyes behind the red shades, but bad feelings started boiling in my stomach. Anger. Resentment. Bitterness. I wanted to hit a wall. I wanted to pick a fight with somebody. Who did this guy think he was? He gave me a wicked grin. So, you're old seaweed's kid, huh? I should have been surprised or scared, but instead I felt like I was looking at my stepdad, Gabe. I wanted to rip this guy's head off. What is it to you? Annabeth's eyes flashed me a warning. Percy, this is... The biker raised his hand. It's okay, he said. I don't mind a little attitude, long as you remember who's the boss. You know who I am, little cousin? Then it struck me why this guy looked familiar. He had the same vicious sneer as some of the kids at Camp Half-Blood, the ones from Cabin 5. You're Clarice's dad, I said. Ares, God of War. Ares grinned and took off his shades. Where his eyes should have been, there was only fire. Empty sockets glowing with miniature nuclear explosions. That's right, kid. I heard you broke Clarice's spear. She was asking for it. Uh, probably. That's cool. I don't fight my kids' fights, you know. What I'm here for. I heard you were in town. I got a little proposition for you. The waitress came back with heaping trays of food. Cheeseburgers, fries, onion rings, and chocolate shakes. Ares handed her a few gold drachmas. She looked nervously at the coins. Um, these aren't... Ares pulled out his huge knife and started cleaning his fingernails. Uh, the problem, sweetheart? The waitress swallowed and then left with the gold. You can't do that, I told Ares. You can't just threaten people with a knife. Ares laughed. Are you, are you kidding? I love this country. Best place since Sparta. Don't you carry a weapon, punk? You should. It's a dangerous world out there. 
Which brings me to my preposition. I need you to do me a favor. What favor can I do for a god? Something a god doesn't have time to do for himself. It's nothing much. I left my shield at an abandoned water park here in town. I was uh, going on a little, little date with my girlfriend. We got interrupted. I left my shield behind, and I want you to fetch it for me. Why don't you go back and get it yourself? The fire in his eye sockets glowed a little hotter. Why don't I turn you into a prairie dog and run you over with my Harley? So I don't feel like it. A god is giving you an opportunity to prove yourself, Percy Jackson. Will you prove yourself a coward? He leaned forward. Or maybe you only fight when there's a river to dive into so your daddy can protect you. I, I wanted to punch this guy, but somehow I knew he was waiting for that. Ares's power was causing my anger. He would love it if I attacked. I wouldn't give him the satisfaction. We're, we're not interested, I said. We've already got a quest. Ares's fiery eyes made me see things I didn't want to see. Blood and smoke and corpses on the battlefield. I know all about your quest, punk. When that item was first stolen, Zeus sent the best out looking for it. Apollo, Athena, Artemis, and me, naturally. If I couldn't sniff out a weapon that powerful... He licked his lips as though the very thought of the Master Bolt made him hungry. Well, if I couldn't find it, you got no hope. Mm. Nevertheless, I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. Your dad and I go way back. After all, I am the only one who told him about my suspicions of old corpse breath. You told him that Hades stole the boat? <laughs> sure. Framing somebody to start a war. Oldest trick in the book. I recognized it immediately. In a way, you got me to thank for your little quest. Yeah, thanks, I grumbled. Hey, I'm a generous guy. Just do my little job and I'll help you on your way. I'll arrange a ride west for you and your friends. We're doing fine on our own. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no money, no wheels, no clue what you're up against. You help me out and maybe I'll tell you something you need to know. Something about your mom. My mom? He grinned. Uh, that got your attention. The water park is a mile west on Delancey. Can't miss it. Look for the Tunnel of Love ride. Hey, what interrupted your date? I asked. Did something scare you off? Ares bared his teeth, but I'd seen his threatening look before on Clarice. There was something false about it, almost like he was nervous. You're lucky that you met me, punk. 
Not one of the other Olympians. They're not as forgiven a rudeness as I am. I'll meet you back here when you're done. Don't disappoint me. After that, I must have fainted or fallen into a trance because when I opened my eyes again, Ares was gone. I might have thought the conversation had been a dream, but Annabats and Grover's expressions told me otherwise. Oh, not good, Grover said. Ares sought you out, Percy. This is not good. I stared out the window. The motorcycle had disappeared. Did Ares really know something about my mom, or was he just playing with me? Now that he was gone, all the anger drained out of me. I, I realized Ares must love messing with people's emotions. That was his power, cranking up the passions so badly they clouded your ability to think. It's probably some kind of trick, I said. Forget Ares. Let's just go. We can't, Annabeth said. Look, I hate Ares as much as anybody, but you don't ignore the gods unless you want serious bad fortune. He wasn't kidding about turning you into a rodent. I looked down at my cheeseburger, which suddenly didn't seem so appetizing. Why does he need us? Maybe it's a problem that requires brains, Annabeth said. Ares has strength. That's all he has. Even strength has to bow to wisdom sometimes. But this water park, he, he almost acted like he was scared. What would make a war god run away like that? Annabeth and Grover glanced nervously at each other. Annabeth said, I'm afraid we'll have to find out. That's right. <laughs> we had an update, and I have not yet put it back in. Whoop. Wrong screen. Okay, quick chatter break, everyone. We've just met another god. Chatter breaks, I'm, gonna, I'm aiming for two minutes for chatter break, so bear with me here. Um, two minutes or less. So, we've just met a god. Um, it's Ares, the god of war, with, with nuclear explosions in his eyes and shotguns attached to his Harley. Um, and he is afraid of something. I want your predictions. What do we think could make a god like this experience fear like that and want to send someone like Percy after it? We know some of the rules, right? We know some of the some of the ideas. <laughs> what, Mikey? Um, some of the, some of the 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 things that would cause a god to lean on someone like a demigod, right? Some like gods are powerful. Demigods are only half as powerful, or even less in most cases. Why would a god like Ares go to someone, especially a demigod of someone else? What is it that Ares wants here? Rowlett says, I just want to know, when Ares goes on his dates, does he keep the flaming eyes? I think you, you gotta, right? Sort of play to your strengths. Uh, Courier6 says, I, I kind of think Percy Jackson is a uh, YA American gods. Uh, American gods is very MA or, uh, oriented. Uh, and I don't mean that it's derivative, just that it approaches the same, the it, different approaches to the same excellent idea. In most ways, I prefer Percy Jackson's approach, honestly. It's easier to get invested and less edgy. American Gods is definitely one I've wanted to read before. Um, Sparkle Lovegood says he needs his shield, but he left it with the woman. Uh, Dryer the Titan says maybe another god set a trap, something along uh, those lines. 
Uh, Mikey says, I missed the first 10 to 15 minutes. Okay, basically, they're on the road again. They've hit Denver, and uh, Ares has just bought them lunch in exchange for offering them this quest that they kind of have to go on. There's your there's your recap. Um <laughs> All right, Death Metal Dahlia, you get the final you get the final word on this, the final word of our chatter break, which is, you know, I, I think for for some of you who are not native English speakers, there's this idea of type in English, where it's like, what, what's your type, and that means sort of the person that you typically um, sort of romantically pursue. And Death Metal Dahlia has just put in, I bet his type is insane. <laughs> I am guessing you are correct. Oh, yeah. The sun was sinking behind the mountains by the time we found the water park. Judging from the sign, it had once been called Waterland. But now some of the letters were smashed out, so it read, What? Rad. The main gate was padlocked and topped with barbed wire. Inside, huge dry water slides and tubes and pipes curled everywhere, leading to empty pools. Old tickets and advertisements fluttered on the asphalt. With night coming on, the place looked sad and creepy. If Ares brings his girlfriend here for a date, I said, staring up at the barbed wire, I would hate to see what she looks like. Percy, Annabeth warned, be more respectful. Why, I thought you hated Ares. He's still a god, and his girlfriend is very temperamental. You don't want to insult her looks, Grover added. Why, who is she? Is it Echidna? No, Aphrodite, Grover said, a little dreamily. Goddess of love? I thought, hold on, I thought she was married to somebody who, um, uh, uh, Hephaestus. What's your point? he asked. Oh, I suddenly felt the need to change the subject. So, how do we get in? Maya! Grover's shoes sprouted wings. We flew over the fence, did an unintended somersault in midair, and then stumbled to a landing on the opposite side. He dusted off his jeans as if he'd planned the whole thing. Um, you guys coming? Annabeth and I had to climb the old-fashioned way, holding down the barbed wire for each other as we climbed over the top. The shadows grew long as we walked through the park, checking out the attractions. There was Ankle Biter Island, Head Over Wedgie, and Dude, Where's My Swimsuit? No monsters came to get us. Nothing made the slightest noise. We found a souvenir shop that had been left open. Merchandise still lined the shelves. Snow globes, pencils, postcards, and racks of... Clothes, Annabeth said. Fresh clothes. Yeah, I said, but you can't just watch me. She snatched an entire row of stuff off the racks and disappeared into the changing room. A few minutes later, she came out in Waterland flower print shorts, a big red Waterland t-shirt, and commemorative Waterland surf shoes. A Waterland backpack was slung over her shoulder, obviously stuffed with more goodies. Hmm, what the heck? Grover shrugged. Soon, all three of us were decked out like walking advertisements for the defunct theme park. We continued searching for the Tunnel of Love. I got the feeling that the whole park was holding its breath. So, Ares and Aphrodite, I said, 
trying to keep my mind off of the growing dark. They've got, uh, kind of a thing going? That's old gossip, Percy, Annabeth told me. Uh, 3,000-year-old gossip. What about Aphrodite's husband? Well, you know, she said. Hephaestus, the blacksmith, he was crippled when he was a baby, thrown off Mount Olympus by Zeus, so he isn't exactly handsome. Clever with his hands and all, but Aphrodite isn't into brains and talent, you know? She likes bikers. Whatever. Hephaestus knows? Oh, sure, Annabeth said. He caught them together once. I mean, literally caught them in a golden net and invited all the gods to come and laugh at them. Hephaestus is always trying to embarrass them. That's why they meet in out-of-the-way places, like... She stopped, looking straight ahead. Like that. In front of us was an empty pool that would have been awesome for skateboarding. It was at least 50 yards across and shaped like a bowl. Around the rim, a dozen bronze statues of Cupid stood guard with wings spread and bows ready to fire. On the opposite side from us, a tunnel opened up, probably where the water flowed into the pool when it was full. The sign above it read, Thrill ride of love, this is not your parents' tunnel of love. Grover crept toward the edge. Guys, look. Marooned at the bottom of the pool was a pink and white two-seater boat with a canopy over the top and little hearts painted all over it. In the left seat, glinting in the fading light, was Ares's shield, a polished circle of bronze. Well, this is too easy, I said. Should we just walk down there and get it? Annabeth ran her fingers along the base of the nearest Cupid statue. There's a Greek letter carved here, she said. Ada, I wonder... Hey, Grover, I said. You smell any monsters? He sniffed the wind. Nothing. Okay, so do you mean nothing like in the arch and you didn't smell a kidna nothing or really nothing? Grover looked hurt. I told you that was underground. I Okay, I'm, I am sorry. I took a deep breath. I'm going down there. I'll go with you. Grover didn't sound too enthusiastic, but I got the feeling he was trying to make up for what had happened in St. Louis. Nope, I told him. I want you to stay up here with the flying shoes. You're the Red Baron. Flying ace, remember? I'll be counting on you for backup in case something goes wrong. Grover puffed up his chest a little. Sure, but what could go wrong? I don't know. It's just a feeling. Annabeth, would you come down with me? Are you kidding? She looked as though I'd just dropped from the moon. Her cheeks were bright red. Well, what's the problem now? I had demanded. Me? Go with you to the the thrill ride of love? How embarrassing is that? What if somebody saw me? Who's going to see you? But my face was burning now, too. Leave it to a girl to make everything complicated. Fine, I told her. I'll do it myself. But when I started down the side of the pool, she followed me, muttering about how boys always mess things up. We reached the boat. The shield was propped on one seat, and next to it was a lady's silk scarf. I tried to imagine Ares and Aphrodite here, a couple of gods meeting in a junked-out amusement park ride. 
Why? And then I noticed something I hadn't seen from up top. Mirrors all the way around the rim of the pool facing this spot. We could see ourselves no matter which direction we looked. That must be it. While Ares and Aphrodite were smooching with each other, they could look at their favorite people. Themselves. I picked up the scarf. It shimmered pink, and the perfume was indescribable. Rose or mountain laurel, something good. I smiled, a little dreamy, and was about to rub the scarf against my cheek when Annabeth ripped it out of my hand and stuffed it in her pocket. Oh, no, you don't. Stay away from that love magic. What? Just get the shield, seaweed brain, let's get out of here? The moment I touched the shield, I knew we were in trouble. My hand broke through something that had been connected to the dashboard. A cobweb, I thought, but then I looked at a strand on my palm and I saw it was some kind of metal filament, so fine it was almost invisible. A trip wire. Wait, Annabeth said. It's uh, too late. There's another Greek letter on the side of the boat, another Ada. This is a trap. Noise erupted all around us, of a million gears grinding as if the whole pool were turning into one giant machine. Grover yelled, Guys! Up on the rim, the Cupid statues were drawing their bows into firing position. Before I could suggest taking cover, they shot at us. But not at us. They fired at each other across the rim of the pool. Silky cables trailed from the bows, arcing over the pool and anchoring where they landed to form a huge golden asterisk. Then smaller metallic threads started weaving together magically between the main strands, making a net. We have got to get out, I said. Duh, Annabeth said. I grabbed the shield and we ran, but going up the slope of the pool was not as easy as coming down. Come on! Grover shouted. He was trying to hold open a section of the net for us, but wherever he touched it, the golden threads started to wrap around his hands. The Cupid's heads popped open. Out came video cameras. Spotlights rose up all around the pool, blinding us with illumination, and a loudspeaker voice boomed, Live to Olympus in one minute! 59 seconds! 58! Hephaestus! Annabeth screamed. I'm so stupid. Ada is H. He made this trap to catch his wife with Ares, and now we're going to be broadcast live to Olympus and look like absolute fools. He, we had almost made it to the rim when the row of mirrors opened like hatches and thousands of tiny metallic things poured out. Annabeth screamed. It was an army of wind-up creepy crawlies. Bronze gear bodies, spindly legs, little pincher mouths all scuttling towards us in a wave of clacking, whirring metal. Spiders? Annabeth said. I'd never seen her like this before. She fell backward in terror and almost got overwhelmed by the spider bots before I pulled her up and dragged her back toward the boat. The things were coming out from every direction around the rim now. Millions of them, flooding toward the center of the pool, completely surrounding us. I told myself they probably weren't programmed to kill, just corral us and bite us and make us look stupid. But then again, this was a trap meant for gods. And we weren't gods. Annabeth and I climbed into the boat. I started kicking away at the spiders as they started to swarm aboard. I yelled at Annabeth to help me out, but she was too paralyzed to do much more than scream. Thirty! Twenty-nine! 
called the loudspeaker. The spiders started spitting out strands of metal thread trying to tie us down. The strands were easy enough to break at first, but there were so many of them, and the spiders just kept coming. I kicked one away from Annabeth's leg, and its pinchers took a chunk out of my new surf shoe. Grover hovered above the pool with his flying sneakers, trying to pull the net loose, but it wouldn't budge. Think, I told myself. Think. The Tunnel of Love entrance was under the net. We could use it as an exit, except that it was blocked by a million robot spiders. Fifteen! Fourteen! The loudspeaker called. Water, I thought. Where does the ride's water come from? And then I saw them. Two water pipes behind the mirrors, where the spiders had come from. And up above the net, next to one of the cupids, a glass-covered booth that must be the controller station. Grover! I yelled. Get into that booth. Find the on switch. But do it. It was a crazy hope, but it was our only chance. The spiders were all over the prow of the boat now. Annabeth was screaming her head off. We had to get out of here. Grover was in the controller's booth now, slamming away at the buttons. Five, four. Grover looked up at me hopelessly, raising his hands. He was letting me know he'd pushed every button, but still nothing was happening. I closed my eyes and thought about waves, rushing water, the Mississippi River. I felt a familiar tug in my gut. I tried to imagine that I was dragging the ocean all the way to Denver. Two, one, zero! Water exploded out of the pipes. It roared into the pool, sweeping away the spiders. I pulled Annabeth to the seat next to me and fastened her seatbelt just as the tidal waves slammed into our boat, over the top, whisking the spiders away and dousing us completely, but not capsizing the boat. The boat turned, lifted in the flood, and spun in circles around the whirlpool. The water was full of short-circuiting spiders, some of them smashing against the pool's concrete wall with such force that they burst. Spotlights glared down at us. The Cupid cams were rolling live to Olympus. But I could only concentrate on controlling the boat. I willed the current to let us ride, to keep away from the wall. Maybe it was my imagination, but the boat seemed to respond. At least it didn't break into a million pieces. We spun around one last time, the water level almost high enough to shed us against the metal net. Then the boat's nose turned toward the tunnel and we rocketed into the darkness. Annabeth and I held tight, both of us screaming as the boat shot curls and hugged corners and took 45-degree plunges past pictures of Romeo and Juliet and a bunch of other Valentine's Day stuff. Then we were out of the tunnel, the night air whistling through our hair as the boat barreled straight toward the exit. If the ride had been in working order, we would have sailed off a ramp between the golden gates of love and splashed down safely in the exit pool. But there was a problem. The gates of love were chained. Two boats that had been washed out of the tunnel before us were now piled against the barricade. One submerged, the other cracked in half. Unfasten your seatbelt, I yelled to Annabeth. Are you crazy? Unless you want to get smashed to death. I strapped Ares' shield to my arm. We're going to have to jump for it. My idea was simple and insane. As the boat struck, we would use its force like a springboard to jump the gate. I'd heard of people surviving car crashes that way, getting thrown 30 or 40 feet away from an accident. With luck, we would land in the pool. 
Annabeth seemed to understand. She gripped my hand as the gates got closer. On my mark, I said. No, on my mark. What? Simple physics, she yelled. Forces times trajectory angle. Fine, I shouted. On your mark. We hesitated. She hesitated and then yelled, Now! <coughs> Annabeth was right. If we had jumped when I thought we should have, we would have crashed into the gates. She got us maximum lift. Unfortunately, that was a little more than we needed. Our boat smashed into the pileup and we were thrown into the air right over the gates, over the pool, and down towards solid asphalt. Something grabbed me from behind. Ouch! Annabeth yelled. Grover. In mid-air, he had grabbed me by the shirt and Annabeth by the arm and was trying to pull us out of a crash landing, but Annabeth and I had all the momentum. You're too heavy, Grover said. We're going down. We spiraled toward the ground, Grover doing his best to slow the fall. We smashed into a photo board. Grover's head going straight through the hole where tourists would put their faces, pretending to be Nunu the friendly whale. Annabeth and I tumbled to the ground, banged up but alive. Ares' shield was still on my arm. Once we caught our breath, Annabeth and I got Grover out of the photo board and thanked him for saving our lives. I looked back at the thrill ride of love. The water was subsiding. Our boat had been smashed to pieces against the gates. A hundred yards away, at the entrance pool, the Cupids were still filming. The statues had swiveled so that their cameras were trained straight on us, the spotlights in our faces. Okay, the show's over, I yelled. Thank you. Good night. The Cupids turned back to their original positions. The lights shut off. The park went quiet and dark again, except for the gentle trickle of water into the thrill ride of love's exit pool. I wondered if Olympus had gone to a commercial break or if our ratings had been any good. I hated being teased. I hated being tricked. And I had plenty of experience handling bullies who do stuff like that to me. I hefted the shield on my arm and turned to my friends. We need to have a little talk with Ares. And that is the end of our first chapter for today. What do we think, everybody? We're seeing more and more of the magical, magical world, mythical world. More and more of the mythical world. We have seen now, not just Medusa, not sort of, not just sort of, you know, individuals that are part of the Greek mythology, but now we're seeing more gods and they're active. We're seeing the the machinations of um, Hephaestus, the, the god of sort of craft work. Uh, we're seeing uh, the sort of plans of Ares, who sent Percy here because he must have figured out, oh, that's most definitely a trap um, or something along those lines um, and bugged out of there and made Percy go and get the shield instead. Hey, Ares, what do we think, everyone? Who, who, who have you been most interested by so far? Which of these gods that we've seen some action from, which one of them has been most interesting so far? Mirren says, uh, well, I guess these spiders are different because they're mechanical, but in general, the fear of spiders makes no sense. Interesting. Mirren's got some, Mirren's got some qualms about some of the, uh, some of the dramaturgy in here. 
It is strange, right? Why why spiders? I wonder if we'll get an explanation for that. Carnivorous Sheep says, Mr. D all the way. All right, still a big Mr. D fan. I think Mr. D is going to be probably a favorite for a lot of people. <laughs> Mighty Mage. Hold on. Death Metal Dahlia has accused Mighty Mage of killing it with some puns. Oh, Hilarious. I gotcha. I, I, I thought you were doing a portmanteau of Hephaestus and Ares, and I was like, I'm, I don't entirely get it, but Buddy Mage, well done. Good on you. I'm with I'm with Dahlia. You're, you are killing it indeed. McNerd says, I think the spider fear was something to do with her mom based on some mythology research. Indeed. Baby Tyranny just says, spiders are terrifying, okay? All right? Like, why, I don't know why we need to dig into this any, far, any further. It's spiders. They're terrifying. Especially when, like... I, I think even like, even a rabbit, like let's imagine a rabbit, right? They've got some teeth, which if you can see their teeth, they're a little creepy looking, but imagine a rabbit that is like actively trying to attack you. And then imagine like 10 of them. I think even if you don't have a fear of spiders necessarily, you've still got a pretty like horrifying thing happening to you. They're Yes, they're small, but they're coming in this horde. And like, you know, if you kick five away, there are 20 more on their way to get you. <laughs> <laughs> McNerd says, rabbits are scary. <laughs> I don't get it. What's the difference? Rabbits, spiders? No, like think of cute animals. Even, I think it, it doesn't really matter if something's trying to get you and it's coming in a horde. Um, like that was the whole premise behind like <laughs> gremlins, wasn't it? I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. Luke says, I agree. Hephaestus is the one I want to know more about. Yeah, Hephaestus seems really interesting, right? This god of craft, but plies that craft toward essentially big god pranks. Like Hephaestus, the, the the crafty prankster. I would definitely like to meet Hephaestus in all this. Mighty Mage says, Hephaestus made the first website with those spiders. Good God, Mighty Mage. Mighty Mage. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you are, yeah, uh, Dolly was not kidding. That's the one that got me. First website. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. You get the unacceptable badge of honor, Mighty Mage, for this stream. <laughs> Baby Tyranny says, the worst thing is when you're in the middle of a shower and you see a spider that was in the shower the whole time, but it's out of your reach. I don't typically have that problem. Uh, I would say for most rooms built for human beings, I can reach the ceilings. Sometimes without even having to, uh, without even having to stand on tiptoes. Lisa says, wait, what, Sam, you haven't seen Gremlins? That is a classic. I have not. I would say, although I am, I would consider myself to be reasonably well-read, I am not well-read when it comes to, I'm not well-watched. I'm not well-read when it comes to movies. There are lots of classics that I have not seen. And, you know, I uh, being in Southern California, there's definitely, like, some exposure to folks who are, like, super, super well-watched in, you know, classic cinema and such. And, yeah, it's just, it, it is not something that I have done. My story, my experience with stories has come from different places for the most part. Mikey G says, I lived in Wales, the UK, uh, for years. Uh, I'm familiar with Wales. Um, I Let's see, do I have anything... No, I I will tell you, Wales is like the it's the it's the honestly it is the white whale it is the white whale of UK accents. I can't do it. I cannot pull off a, a Welsh accent. Um, I know there's sort of a like a that's a sound that comes out a lot more in in the Welsh dialects than uh, just about anywhere else that I can think of. But I can't integrate that properly. Welsh is so tough. Welsh dialectic is so difficult. Um, Mikey says, I lived in Wales for years and had a very scary meeting with 70-odd sheep in a field that just stare at you with evil in their eyes. Not cool. Yeah, that's a, I think that's another good example. Like, 
sometimes it's just the animals are behaving wrong and and that sort of that sort of element of like you're just this is what you're doing is bad um same with these spiders like i don't think you need to be afraid of spiders for this situation to be real frightening mcnerd says the spider thing has something to do with a giant spider and a weaving contest that athena won interesting i wonder if we'll learn more about that Luke says that dude uh, is the only god with a real sense of being an outsider among the gods. It seems like he should be with Annabeth's mom, but those, but uh, those brains together. Yeah, it does. It, it seems like <laughs> it seems like there is something. There, there's there's kind of a, a link there, right? It seems like they they might be happier together, but you know. It's it's the gods, and frankly, I, that's one of the things I really, really like about this particular religion, right? And in, in many other religions, um, God is God, or gods are depicted as being something um, entirely inhuman in terms of their sort of personalities. You know, they're they're either perfect in some way, or they are perfect embodiments. They're sort of paragons of a specific idea. In Greek mythology, I really like that they're essentially just like crazy powerful humans. They're just as, they are just as, as fickle. They are just as confused. They are just as uh, flawed as people are. Um, it, I, I like it from an entertainment standpoint. Uh, Mighty Mage says, your Aries sounds a bit like that harpy lady. Oh yeah. So, okay. So, um, let's see. Percy Jackson. And then Percy Jackson. Uh, yeah, it, um, somebody guessed it, by the way. It is indeed my Jeff Bridges impression. Uh, it's one of my favorite impressions that I do because it's one of the few impressions that I can pull off. Y'all have, I've talked to you about this before. I really can't do impressions as much as I can just do like regional accents. Uh, my impression game is not particularly strong. I can, there are a couple that I can do okay, but you'll hear even this is sort of weak. Yeah, I think you do agree. Um, and then Jeff Bridges is one that I, I think I can sort of muddle up my mouth in the right way. It almost sounds right. But of course, Dame Maggie Smith remains my absolute favorite because I think it's one of the strangest ones that I can execute in a reasonable fashion. But also, it's one of the it's one of the best as far as I'm concerned. I do hope that she makes some sort of appearance here in the series at some point. Y'all have to, uh, y'all have to let me know what a good, who, who should Dame Maggie Smith play? Oh, don't, <laughs> Mighty Mage. Oh, don't do that to me. Jade Dragon says, Hephaestus is a blacksmith. Not sure that's a gateway to building design. Yeah, is it? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. A lot of these, you know, the, the sort of overlap is very strange, right? Hermes, god of, not just like, sort of like, messengers but also thieves and sort of the uh and, and travelers i believe they mentioned right like that's like thieves travelers those are some some and, and messages those are some pretty like that's a wide variation of interests uh for his particular uh what tinder profile i guess do you think the god here's a question i never expected to ask do you all think greek gods would be happier if they had a tinder exclusively for them mmp says uh, needs smithed nails to build or steel for modern buildings. Interesting. And yeah, some of these, some of these, like sort of the collaboration between gods, much as we saw with the chariot, um, you know, bring, bringing horses from one and, uh, you know, the, the sort of this wheeled cart from the other, that, though, that convalescence of those two things, that combination made something important. You love which one, Hannah? Which one's, which one's working for you? I got to assume it's Jeff Bridges. I got to assume Jeff Bridges is the one where you're like, hmm, chef kiss. 
a true partnership says jade um let's see <laughs> lisa lisa is not happy about spiders i know a number of y'all are not pleased with this whole spiders thing all right lisa says uh my problem with spiders is that they can pop out at you from nowhere uh oh you've got a, a scar from a brown recluse yeah those things are those things are spooky because they're not as big as they should be. I, I, you always want the, the poisonous ones to be the big ones so you can see them coming and, and get on out of there. But unfortunately, not the way. Gwendog says, uh, oh, my God, I've just started watching Downton Abbey. Because now Gwendog is Dame Maggie Smith. You were Dame Maggie Smith the whole time. Everyone, we have got another chapter for today. The last one you did. The old lady that goes up and down a lot. Yeah, Dame Maggie Smith. McGonagall. This is it is one of my favorites. <laughs> All right, everyone, I'm going to go take a quick break. But first, I've got to leave you with a chatter break question. Um, let's see. What do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about setting? Do we want to talk about, about themes? Do we want to talk about ideas? Um, I think relationships would be a good one, but that one's too broad. Um, sort of sort of like this uh, this this theme of, of the parent and child relationship, whether it's related to gods or otherwise. They have eight freaking legs and a gazillion eyes. Yeah, what do we want to talk about from our main ideas here? Um, And then I'm going to take a quick five-minute break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to chat for a bit, and then we're going into our second chapter for today. Fortunately, it is not a short week. As a matter of fact, it might be kind of on the longer end. Um, Let's see. Mikey says, how do we think the next interaction with Ares is going to go? Yeah, you know what? I think that's a good chatterbreak question. So, here's our chatterbreak question. Why did... And, you know, some of these, not all these are meant to be, like, st- real stumpers, okay? So, keep that in mind. Why did Ares send Percy on this mission? And how is Ares going to react to the situation as it's panned out? There we go. Why did why did Ares send Percy, and how is Percy going to react at their next meeting? So, there's your chatterbait question. I will see you all in five minutes. Adios, folks. See you in a sec. Well, everyone, I hope you have enjoyed uh, the trailer for the after. Once again, that is that's the second of three times I'm going to play that on this stream. Um, I created that last night, and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. That is for our new Wednesday project. Uh, that is going to be a, an interactive, improvised storytelling experience about 
the apocalypse, about discovering the nature of the apocalypse. We are going to discover that uh, over the course of an eight-episode series um, that y'all are going to have a chance to have a deep impact on. Uh, We're going to have ways for you to participate here in chat, and as we tell that story live with us and our guests, you are going to uh, be able to have a direct impact on how that story turns out. It uses a game system called Fiasco, um, and the show is going to be called The After, a sidecar stories fiasco, and I hope you will all join us there on Wednesdays, um, noon Pacific time on Wednesdays, uh, unless otherwise announced. So go to the Tags channel over in Discord and make sure to choose the Tabletop RPG tag so you can get notified about all things The After. Um, That is going to be coming up very soon. I am very, very excited for it. Um, And it's great to get back into the world of storytelling for ourselves with y'all, you know, with a hand on the wheel. Everyone, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, For anyone who likes uh, apocalypse stories or anyone who likes tabletop RPGs or if you just like telling stories or want to learn a little bit more about it, I definitely suggest you come hang out. On Wednesday is going to be our session zero where we set up the world and make a lot of decisions that are going to stick with us moving forward. I hope you'll join us. Starts at noon Pacific time. Uh, uh, At the very least next week, and I would say, you know, moving forward, like we're going to try and stick with that time. Uh, But of course, it may change a few times based on the availability of our guests. Definitely keep an eye on the Discord and on that tabletop RPG tag. You'll want to take that on Discord. Um, Which, speaking of the Discord, here is a set of links. That's the wheel hub there um, that can take you to the garage, which is our Discord. um, And then, of course, to various other places as well. And that's the link to share. So you can find that one in chat there, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can find this in the description box down below. That is the one to share. That's the one to use that will take you everywhere you need to go sidecar related. Everybody, let's talk about our Chatter Break question. Um, Mighty Mage is saying, Ares didn't want to get caught in uh, Hephaestus's trap. I think that's a pretty good guess. It sounds like, you know, Ares might have smelled something a little bit off, right? Heading to this water park, sneaking around, doing stuff he knows he shouldn't be doing. And then... He smells something off and says, you know what? I'm not going to go down there. Now, the question then becomes, why is his shield down there? That uh, that does seem kind of odd. Uh, Money Mage says, Percy will still want some answers. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he definitely will. So we have got uh, Ares with this odd quest. We have got Percy taking the quest, but now has got some questions for Ares. Um, and then, of course, we've got, we've got Hephaestus, the, like, the kind of it, it seems kind of a bitter sort of prankster kind of attitude we're getting from Hephaestus, even though we have not met Hephaestus at all. Um, I would say there's definitely the 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 trap that he sets up there definitely has some pretty strong hints at bitterness. Uh, Carnivorous sheep says must be a special shield if it's the God of War's shield. Percy should hold on to it for answers. Um, I mean, it, yeah, that would kind of make sense, right? I mean, he's got the shield. We already know like you can just steal stuff from the gods. Um, now they're going to want it and they're probably going to make your life pretty miserable, but a shield from Ares, like I would think that would be more valuable to them right now, especially considering they're always being attacked. It would be more valuable to have a shield, you know, the shield of the God Ares than it would be to have like a ride a few more miles down the road. But then again, they do have to move pretty dang quickly. Here's what I would do. Turn the shield over to Hephaestus and see if Hephaestus can't give us like a sweet, uh, a sweet uh, motorcycle with a sidecar. There we go. If anybody can build it, it's going to be Hephaestus. That's what you want to do. That's what I would do anyway. <laughs> Turn it over to Hephaestus because um, we've already got like an inn. We'll just you know run up and 
shouted into one of the cameras like, hey, Hephaestus, uh, I've got this thing for you. Although I guess if Hephaestus really wanted it, he probably could have just taken it. It was already inside the trap. Yeah, Sandra's saying something similar. Hephaestus already had the shield. It does seem that way. That's what I would do, though. Because maybe, maybe it's one of those things, because it says that, you know, here we go. Here's the other thing, right? And this puts a little bit of an extra layer of confusion on here. A little bit of, of, of shade on the whole scenario. Gods can't interact directly with the symbols of other gods. Now, Ares... Is it is Ares's shield like his symbol in the same way that Zeus's symbol is um, the lightning bolt? Because if so, then Hephaestus can't have manipulated it at all. Which means that, you know, like Ares must have done something with it and like left it there or um, which, which seems fairly likely at, at this moment or, you know, somebody else must have been involved to set the trap there. But, you know, if we I, I, I do think, although it seems like, you know, Hephaestus had the shield around, I don't think Hephaestus can actually do anything with it. So if we offer to do something with the shield in exchange, then maybe we can make a little bit of a deal. This is, this is, all right, everyone, welcome to our new podcast. Sam plays the gods against one another um, to get a sweet motorcycle with a sidecar. How, how like, are, how like Mechanopunk, um, like Dwemer from the, uh, from the Elder Scrolls series, um, you know, Skyrim and all that. Uh, how how Dwemer would that motorcycle look, and how awesome would that be? It would be such a cool, cool ride, that would be. Anyway, Sparkle Lovegood says, then how was the bolt stolen? Well, uh, somebody must have taken it, right? Um, you know, uh, right now it seems like the operating theory is, well, Zeus's operating theory is that Percy was the one who stole it, but um, the operating theory for a lot of other folks is that... Um, uh, Hades influenced someone to take it. We don't know. But yeah, Hades must have used someone. Uh, Sandra says, you can move the shield as a god. Uh, like, oh, can you move the shield as a god? Is it is is it like Thor's hammer where you literally cannot move it? I don't know. I just know you can't really like do stuff with it. I don't know. I don't know. Very interesting. We will have to keep an eye on all of that. This unit negates all damage. GG. <laughs> <laughs> Rollet says, I would laugh so hard if Zeus partied too hard and just lost it, and it's secretly why Harry Potter's scar is a lightning bolt. Oh, maybe that's maybe the maybe the scar is the actual real life lightning bolt. That would be an interesting one. Alright. Y'all. Let's talk about our next chapter. First, we have to do a little bit of review. In our previous chapter, pretty quick one. We start uh, with Percy and Annabeth and Grover on a train heading toward uh, Denver. They hop off in Denver. They're trying to keep going west, but this is all they had money for, so they need a new ride. Um, fortunately, maybe unfortunately, they are met with an offer. They head into a diner, and they've got no money, but... Ares, yes, the god of war, Ares, um, hops in and decides to pay for lunch and offers that if they will complete a quest for him, he will supply a ride. He will he will organize a ride for them to help get them uh, on their way. They don't have much of an option, so they have to agree. They take the quest, which is to go and retrieve Ares's shield from this water park. It's an odd one, right? 
an odd scenario all around, but they are tasked with retrieving the shield from the water park. Um, it, we get a little bit of backstory here about why Ares would be here and who he would be with and why he might have gotten scared off. Well, it turns out he is uh, he is with uh, the wife of Hephaestus, the seeming, as far as we can tell, the god of pranks, um, the god of like some really like intricate pranks, um, played by Johnny Knoxville. Uh, he is not happy, obviously, with um, Ares and his wife um, spending so much romantic time together to keep it PG. And as such, he sets up these elaborate traps. That seems like probably the reason Ares did not get involved in this situation. And that is why he sent Percy. Percy gets involved in this situation and it ends up nearly trapped in this thing with his, you know, his his face and his, you know, this silly situation broadcast all over Mount Olympus. Um, but they're able to escape very narrowly with the shield. And now they've got some questions for Ares. At the very least, Percy does. So, everyone, I hope you have enjoyed our first chapter. I hope you will enjoy our second and final chapter for the night. Just got to turn the AC off here. There we go. Which involves me reaching underneath my green screen. Everyone, I hope you have enjoyed thus far. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And specifically, this is our Thursday show, Flying Sidecar, wherein uh, we have a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love. And we learn a little bit about them along the way. Let's read. Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, Chapter 16. We take a zebra to Vegas. The war god was waiting for us in the diner parking lot. Well, 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 he said. You didn't get yourself killed. Well, I knew that it was a trap, I said. Ares gave me a wicked grin. I bet that crippled blacksmith was surprised when he netted a couple of stupid kids. You look good on TV. I shoved his shield at him. You're a jerk. Annabeth and Grover caught their breath. Ares grabbed the shield and spun it in the air like a pizza dough. It changed form, melting into a bulletproof vest. He slung it across his back. You see that truck over there? He pointed to an 18-wheeler parked across the street from the diner. That's your ride. Take it straight to L.A. with one stop in Vegas. The 18-wheeler had a sign on the back, which I could read only because it was reverse-printed, white on black, a good combination for dyslexia. Kindness International. Humane Zoo Transport. Warning, live wild animals. I said, You're kidding. Ares snapped his fingers. The back door of the truck unlatched. Free ride west, punk. Stop complaining. And here's a little something for doing the job. He slung a blue nylon backpack off his handlebars and tossed it to me. Inside were fresh clothes for all of us, twenty bucks in cash and a pouch full of golden drachmas, and a bag of double-stuffed Oreos. I said, I don't want your lousy... Thank you, Lord Ares, Grover interrupted, giving his best red alert warning look. Thanks a lot. I gritted my teeth. It was probably a deadly insult 
to refuse something from a god, but I didn't want anything that Ares had touched. Reluctantly, I slung the backpack over my shoulder. I knew my anger had been caused by the war god's presence, but I was still itching to punch him in the nose. He reminded me of every bully I'd ever faced. Nancy Bobafit, Clarice, Smelly Gabe, sarcastic teacher, every jerk who'd called me stupid in school or laughed at me when I'd gotten expelled. I looked back at the diner, which had only a couple of customers now. The waitress who'd served us dinner was watching nervously out the window, like she was afraid Ares might hurt us. She dragged the fry cook out from the kitchen to see. She said something to him. He nodded, held up a little disposable camera, and snapped a picture of us. Great, I thought. We'll make the papers again tomorrow. I imagined the headline. Twelve-year-old outlaw beats up defenseless biker. You owe me one more thing. I told Ares, trying to keep my voice level. You promised me information about my mother. Are you sure you can handle the news? He kick-started his motorcycle. She's not dead. The ground seemed to spin beneath me. What do you mean? I mean, she was taken away from the Minotaur before she could die. She was turned into a shower of gold, right? That's metamorphosis, not death. She's being kept. Kept? Why? You gotta study war, punk. Hostages. You take somebody to control somebody else. Nobody's controlling me. He laughed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll see you around, kid. I balled up my fist. You're pretty smug, Lord Ares, for a guy who runs from Cupid statues. Behind his glasses, fire glowed. I felt a hot wind in my hair. We'll meet again, Percy Jackson. Next time you're in a fight, watch your back. He revved his Harley, then roared off down Delancey Street. Annabeth said, That was not smart, Percy. I don't care. You don't want a god as your enemy. Especially not that god. Hey, guys, Grover said. I hate to interrupt, but... He pointed toward the diner. At the register, the last two customers were paying their check. Two men in identical black overalls with a white logo on their backs that matched the one on the Kindness International truck. If we're taking the Zoo Express, Grover said, we need to hurry. I didn't like it, but we had no better option. Besides, I'd seen enough of Denver. We ran across the street and climbed into the back of the big rig, closing the doors behind us. The first thing that hit me was the smell. It was like the world's biggest pan of kitty litter. The trailer was dark inside until I uncapped Anaclusmos. The blade cast a faint bronze light over a very sad scene. Sitting in a row of filthy metal cages were three of the most pathetic zoo animals I had ever beheld. A zebra, a male albino lion, and some weird antelope thing I didn't know the name for. Someone had thrown the lion a sack of turnips, which he obviously didn't want to eat. 
The zebra and the antelope had each gotten a styrofoam tray of hamburger meat. The zebra's mane was matted with chewing gum like somebody had been spitting in it over their spare time. The antelope had a stupid silver birthday balloon tied to one of his horns that said, Over the hill. Apparently nobody had wanted to get close enough to the lion to mess with him, but the poor thing was pacing around on soiled blankets in a space way too small for him, panting from the stuffy heat of the trailer. He had flies buzzing around his pink eyes, and his ribs showed through his white fur. This is kindness, Grover yelled. Humane zoo transport? He probably would have gone right back outside to beat up the truckers with his reed pipe, and I would have helped him. But just then, the truck's engine roared to life. The trailer started shaking, and we were forced to sit down or fall down. We huddled in the corner on some mildewed feed sacks, trying to ignore the smell and the heat and the flies. Grover talked to the animals in a series of goat bleats, but they just stared at him sadly. Annabeth was in favor of breaking the cages and freeing them on the spot, but I pointed out it wouldn't do much good until the truck stopped moving. Besides, I had a feeling we might look a lot better to the lion than those turnips. I found a water jug and refilled their bowls, and then used Anaclusmos to drag the mismatched food out of their cages. I gave the meat to the lion and the turnips to the zebra and the antelope. Grover calmed the antelope down while Annabeth used her knife to cut the balloon off his horn. She wanted to cut the gum out of the zebra's mane, too, but we decided it would be too risky with the truck bumping around. We told Grover to promise the animals we would help them more in the morning, and then settled in for the night. Grover curled up on a turnip sack. Annabeth opened our bag of double-stuffed Oreos and nibbled on one half-heartedly. I tried to cheer myself up by concentrating on the fact that we were halfway to Los Angeles. Halfway to our destination. It was only June 14th. The solstice wasn't until the 21st. We would make it in plenty of time. On the other hand, I had no idea what to expect next. The gods kept toying with me. At least Hephaestus had the decency to be honest about it. He'd put up cameras and advertised me as entertainment. But when the cameras weren't rolling, I had a feeling my quest was being watched. Even then. It was a source of amusement for the gods. Hey, Annabeth said. I'm sorry for freaking out back at the water park, Percy. That's okay. It's just... She shuddered. Ooh, spiders. It's because of the arachnid story, I guessed. You got turned into a spider for challenging your mom to a weaving contest, right? Annabeth nodded. Arachnid's children have been taking revenge on the children of Athena ever since. If there's a spider within a mile of me, it'll find me. I hate the creepy little things. Anyway, I owe you. We're a team, remember? I said. Besides, Grover did the fancy flying. I thought he was asleep, but he mumbled from the corner. I was pretty amazing, wasn't I? Annabeth and I laughed. She pulled apart an Oreo, handing me half. In the Iris message, did Luke really say nothing? I munched my cookie and thought about how to answer. 
The conversation via Rainbow had bothered me all evening. Lou said you and he go way back. He also said that Grover wouldn't fail this time. Nobody would turn into a pine tree. In the dim bronze light of the sword blade, it was hard to read their expressions. Grover let out a mournful bray. I, I should have told you the truth from the beginning. His voice trembled. I thought if you knew what a failure I was, you wouldn't want to bring me along. You were the satyr who tried to rescue Talia, the daughter of Zeus. He nodded glumly. And the other two half-bloods Talia befriended, the ones who got safely to camp. I looked at Annabeth. I was you and Luke, wasn't it? She put down her Oreo, uneaten. Like you said, Percy, a seven-year-old half-blood wouldn't have made it very far alone. Athena guided me toward help. Talia was twelve. Luke was fourteen. They'd both run away from home, like me. They were happy to take me with them. They were amazing monster fighters, even without training. We traveled north from Virginia without any real plans, fending off monsters for about two weeks before Grover found us. I was supposed to escort Talia to camp, he said, sniffling. Only Talia. I had strict orders from Chiron, don't do anything that would slow down the rescue. We knew that Hades was after her, see, but I, I couldn't just leave Luke and Annabeth by themselves. I thought, I thought I could lead all three of them to safety. It was my fault that the kindly ones caught up to us. I froze. I got scared on the way back to camp and took some wrong turns. If I had just been quicker... Stop, Annabeth said. No one blames you. Talia didn't blame you either. She sacrificed herself to save us, he said miserably. Her death was my fault. The Council of Cloven Elders said so. Hold on, because you wouldn't leave two other half-bloods behind? I said. That's not fair. Percy's right, Annabeth said. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for you, Grover. Neither would Luke. We don't care what the Council says. Grover kept sniffling in the dark. It's just my luck. I'm the lamest satyr ever, and I find the two most powerful half-bloods of this century, Talia and Percy. You're not lame, Annabeth insisted. You've got more courage than any satyr I've ever met. Name one other who would dare to go to the underworld. I bet Percy is really glad you're here right now. She kicked me in the shin. Uh, yeah. I said, which I would have done even without the kick. It's not luck that you found Talia, Migrova. You got the biggest heart of any satyr ever. You're a natural searcher. That's why you're going to be the one who finds Pan. I heard a deep, satisfied sigh. I waited for Grover to say something, but his breathing only got heavier. When the sound turned to snoring, I realized he'd fallen asleep. How does he do that? I marveled. I don't know, Annabeth said. But that was a really nice thing that you told him. I meant it. 
We rode in silence for a few miles, bumping down on the feed sacks. The zebra munched a turnip. The lion licked the last of the hamburger meat off his lips and looked at me hopefully. Annabeth rubbed her necklace like she was thinking deep, strategic thoughts. That pine tree, the bead, I said. Is that from your first year? She looked. She hadn't even realized what she was doing. Yeah, she said. Every August, the counselors pick the most important event of the summer, and they paint it on that year's bead. I got Talia's pine tree, a Greek trireme on fire, a centaur in a prom dress. Now that was a weird summer. And the college ring is your father's. That's none of your... She stopped herself. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You don't have to tell me. No, it's... It's okay. She took a shaky breath. My father sent it to me folded up in a letter. Two summers ago. The ring was like his main keepsake from Athena. He wouldn't have gotten through his doctoral program at Harvard without her. That's a long story. Anyway, he said he wanted me to have it. He apologized for being a jerk and said that he loved me and missed me. He wanted me to come home and live with him. That doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, well, the problem was I believed him. I tried to go home for that school year, but my stepmom was the same as ever. She didn't want her kids put in danger by living with a freak. Monsters attacked, we argued. Monsters attacked, we argued more. I didn't even make it through winter break. I called Chiron and came right back to Camp Half-Blood. You think you'll ever try living with your dad again? She wouldn't meet my eyes. Please. I'm not into self-inflicted pain. You shouldn't give up, I told her. You should write him a letter or something. Thanks for the advice, she said coldly. But my father has made his choice about who he wants to live with. We passed another few miles of silence. So, so if the gods fight, I said, will things line up the way that they did in the Trojan War? Will it be Athena versus Poseidon? She put her head against the backpack Ares had given us and closed her eyes. I don't know what my mom will do. I just know I'll fight next to you. Why? Because you're my friend, seaweed brain. Any more stupid questions? I couldn't think of an answer for that. Fortunately, I didn't have to. Annabeth was asleep. I had trouble following her example with Grover snoring and an albino lion staring hungrily at me, but eventually I closed my eyes. Chatter break. So... We understand a couple of people a lot better after this conversation. It seems like travel time is a great time to get to know one another a little bit better. We know now 
that this is not the first quest Grover's been on. And we know specifically that a lot of these things that we knew little parts of, they are they are connected. Why Annabeth is here, why Luke is here, why they seem to have some history together, why Talia ended up the way that she did, and why Grover seems to have some sort of looming guilt about all of this. We know why now. Um, I want you all, this is this chatter break is less of, less of a question, and I think more of a, oh, you know, there's a question involved in it. How have y'all seen, like, what, what things have y'all seen so far that you think are related to this event? Because it seems like it was one big, big, significant event that caused a lot of the, the history that we see playing out right now. What actions, what, what elements of their personalities and their characters do you think come from having experienced this one specific thing? Let's get back into it. My nightmare started out as something I'd dreamed a million times before. I was being forced to take a standardized test while wearing a straitjacket. All the other kids were going out to recess and the teacher kept saying, Come on, Percy. You're not stupid, are you? Pick up your pencil. Then the dreams strayed from the usual. I looked over at the next desk and saw a girl sitting there, also wearing a straitjacket. She was my age, with unruly black punk-style hair, dark eyeliner around her stormy green eyes and freckles across her nose. Somehow, I knew who she was. She was Talia, daughter of Zeus. She struggled against the straitjacket, glaring at me in frustration and snapped, Well, seaweed brine? One of us has got to get out of here. She's right, my dream self thought. I'm going back to that cavern. I'm going to give Hades a piece of my mind. The straitjacket melted off of me. I fell through the classroom floor. The teacher's voice changed until it was cold and evil, echoing from the depths of a great chasm. Percy Jackson. It said, Yes, the exchange went well. I was back in the dark cavern, spirits of the dead drifting around me. Unseen in the pit, the monstrous thing was speaking, but this time it wasn't addressing me. The numbing power of its voice seemed directed somewhere else. And he suspects nothing, it asked. Another voice, one I almost recognized, answered at my shoulder. Nothing, my lord. He is as ignorant as the rest. 
I looked over, but no one was there. The speaker was invisible. Deception upon deception. The thing in the pit mused aloud. Excellent. Truly, my lord, said the voice next to me. You are well named the Crooked One. But was it really necessary? I could have brought you what I stole directly. No, the monster said in scorn. You have already shown your limits. You would have failed me completely had I not intervened. But, my lord... Peace, little servants. Our six months have brought us much. Zeus's anger has grown. Poseidon has played his most desperate card. Now we shall use it against him. Shortly you shall have the reward you wish and your revenge. As soon as both items are delivered into my hands, but wait, he is here. What? The invisible servant suddenly sounded tense. You summoned him, my lord? No. The full force of the monster's attention was now pouring over me, freezing me in place. Blast his father's blood. He is too changeable, too unpredictable. The boy brought himself hither. It's impossible, the servant cried. For a weakling such as you, perhaps... The voice snarled, then its cold power turned back on me. So, you wish to dream of your quest, young half-blood? Then I will oblige. The scene changed. I was standing in a vast throne room with black marble walls and bronze floors. The empty, horrid throne was made from human bones fused together. Standing at the foot of the dais was my mother. Frozen in shimmering golden light, her arms outstretched. I tried to step toward her, but my legs wouldn't move. 
I reached for her, only to realize that my hands were withering to bones. Grinning skeletons in Greek armor crowded around me, draping me with silk robes, wreathing my head with laurels that smoked with chimera poison, burning into my scalp. The evil voice began to laugh. I woke with a start. Grover was shaking my shoulder. The truck has stopped, he said. We think they're coming to check on the animals. Hide, Annabeth hissed. She had it easy. She just put her magic cap on and disappeared. Grover and I had to dive behind feed sacks and hope we looked like turnips. The trailer doors creaked open. Sunlight and heat poured in. Oh, man, one of the truckers said, waving his hand in front of his ugly nose. I wish I hauled appliances. He climbed inside and poured some water from a jug into the animal's dishes. <laughs> you hot, big boy, he asked the lion and splashed the rest of the bucket right in the lion's face. <laughs> the lion roared in indignation. Yeah, 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 the man said. Next to me, under the turnip sacks, Grover tensed. For a peace-loving herbivore, he looked downright murderous. The trucker threw the antelope a squashed-looking Happy Meal bag. He smirked at the zebra. How you doing, Stripes? At least we'll be getting rid of you this stop. You like magic shows? You're going to love this one. They're going to saw you in half. The zebra, wild-eyed with fear, stared straight at me. There was no sound, but as free as day, I heard it. Free me, Lord. Please. I was too stunned to react. There was a loud... on the side of the trailer. The trucker inside with us yelled, Hey, what do you want, Eddie? A voice outside, must have been Eddie's, shouted back, Maurice, what did you say? Uh, what are you banging for? Outside, Eddie yelled, hey, What banging? Our guy Maurice rolled his eyes back and went back outside, cursing at Eddie for being an idiot. A second later, Annabeth appeared next to me. She must have done the banging to get Maurice out of the trailer. She said, This transport business cannot be legal. No kidding, Grover said. He paused, as if listening. The lion says that the, these guys are animal smugglers. That's right, the zebra's voice said in my mind. We've got to free them, Grover said. He and Annabeth both looked at me, waiting for my lead. I'd heard the zebra talk, but not the lion. Why? Maybe it was another learning disability. I could only understand zebras? And then I thought, horses. What had Annabeth said about Poseidon creating horses? Was a zebra close enough to a horse? Is that why I could understand it? The zebra said, Open the cage, Lord, please. 
I'll be fine after that. Outside, Eddie and Maurice were still yelling at each other, but I knew they'd be coming inside to torment the animals again any minute. I grabbed Riptide and slashed the lock off the zebra's cage. The zebra burst out. It turned to me and bowed. Thank you, Lord. Grover held up his hands and said something to the zebra in goat talk like a blessing. Just as Maurice was poking his head back inside to check out the noise, the zebra leapt over him and into the street. There was yelling and screaming and cars honking. We rushed to the doors of the trailer in time to see the zebra galloping down a wide boulevard lined with hotels and casinos and neon lights. We just released a zebra in Las Vegas. Maurice and Eddie ran after it, with a few policemen running after them, shouting, Hey, hey, you need a permit for that. Now would be a good time to leave, Annabeth said. The other animals first, Grover said. I cut the locks with my sword. Grover raised his hand and spoke the same goat blessing he'd used for the zebra. Good luck, I told the animals. The antelope and the lion burst out of their cages and went off together into the streets. Some tourists screamed. Most just backed off and took pictures, probably thinking it was some kind of stunt by one of the casinos. Are the animals going to be okay? I asked Grover. I mean, with the desert and all. Don't worry, he said. I placed a satyr's sanctuary on them. Meaning, meaning they will reach the wild safely, he said. They'll find water, food, shade, whatever they need until they find a safe place to live. Why can't you place a blessing like that on us? I asked. It only works on wild animals. So it would only affect Percy, then, Annabeth reasoned. Hey, I protested. I'm kidding, she said. Come on, let's get out of this filthy truck. We stumbled out into the desert afternoon. It was 110 degrees easy, and we must have looked like deep-fried vagrants, but everyone was too interested in the wild animals to pay us any attention. We passed the Monte Carlo and the MGM. We passed pyramids, a pirate ship, and the Statue of Liberty, which was a pretty small replica, but still made me homesick. I wasn't sure what we were looking for. Maybe just a place to get out of the heat for a few minutes, find a sandwich and a glass of lemonade, make a new plan for getting west. We must have taken the wrong turn because we found ourselves at a dead end, standing in front of the Lotus Hotel and Casino. The entrance was a huge neon flower, the petals lighting up and blinking. No one was going in or out, but the glittering chrome doors were open, spilling out air conditioning that smelled like flowers. Lotus blossoms, maybe. I'd never smelled one, so I wasn't sure. The doorman smiled at us. Hey, kids, you look tired. You want to come in and sit down? I'd learned to be suspicious the last week or two. I figured anybody might be a monster or a god. You just couldn't tell. But this guy was normal. One look at him and I could see. Besides, I was so relieved to hear somebody who sounded sympathetic that I nodded and said we'd love to come in. Inside, we took one look around and Grover said, Whoa. The whole lobby was a giant game room. I'm not talking about cheesy old Pac-Man games or slot machines. There was an indoor water slide snaking around the glass elevator, which went straight up at least 40 floors. 
There was a climbing wall on the side of one building and an indoor bungee jumping bridge. There were virtual reality suits with working laser guns and hundreds of video games, each one the size of a widescreen TV. Basically, you name it, this place had it. There were a few other kids playing, but not many. No waiting for any of the games. There were waitresses and snack bars all around serving every kind of food you can imagine. Hey, the bellhop said. I, at least I guess he was a bellstop. He wore a white and yellow Hawaiian shirt with a lotus design, shorts, and flip-flops. Welcome to the Lotus Casino. Here's your room key. I stammered. Uh, but no, no, he said laughing. The bill's taken care of. No extra charges, no tips, just go on up to the top floor, room 4001. If you need anything, like extra bubbles for the hot tub or skeet targets for the shooting range, or whatever, just call the front desk. Here is your Lotus Cash cards. They work in the restaurants and at all of the games and rides. He handed each of us a green plastic credit card. I knew there must be some sort of mistake. Obviously, he thought we were some millionaire's kids. But I took the card and said, How much is on that? He knit his eyebrows together. What do you mean? I mean, like, when does it run out of cash? He laughed. <laughs> oh, you're making a joke. Hey, that's cool. Enjoy your stay. We took the elevator upstairs and checked out our room. It was a suite with three separate bedrooms and a bar stocked with candy, sodas, and chips. A hotline to room service. Fluffy towels and water beds with feather pillows. A big screen television with satellite and high-speed internet. The balcony had its own hot tub, and sure enough, there was a skeet shooting machine and a shotgun so you could launch clay pigeons right out over the Las Vegas skyline and plug them with your gun. I didn't see how that could be legal, but I thought it was pretty cool. The view over the strip, the desert, was amazing. Though I doubted we'd ever find time to look at the view with a room like this. Oh, goodness, Annabeth said. This place is... Sweet, Grober said. Absolutely sweet. There were clothes in the closet, and they fit me. I frowned, thinking that was a little strange. I threw Ares' backpack in the trash can. We wouldn't need that anymore. When we left, I could just charge a new one at the hotel store. I took a shower, which felt awesome after a week of grimy travel. I changed clothes, ate a bag of chips, drank three Cokes, and came out feeling better than I had in a long time. In the back of my mind, some small problem kept nagging at me. I had a dream or something. I needed to talk to my friends, but I was sure it could wait. I came out of the bedroom and found that Annabeth and Grover had also showered and changed clothes. Grover was eating potato chips to his heart's content while Annabeth cranked up National Geographic. All of those stations, I told her. And you turn on National Geographic? Are you insane? It's interesting. I feel good, Grover said. I love this place. Without his even realizing it, the wings sprouted out of his shoes and lifted him a foot off the ground and then set him back down again. So, what now? Annabeth asked. Sleep? Grover and I looked at each other and grinned. We both held up our green plastic lotus cash cards. Playtime! I couldn't remember the last time I had so much fun. I came from a relatively poor family. Our idea of a splurge was eating out at Burger King and renting a movie. 
a five-star Vegas hotel? Forget it. I bungee jumped the lobby five or six times, did the water slide, snowboarded the artificial ski slope, and played virtual reality laser tag and FBI sharpshooter. I saw Grover a few times, going from game to game. He really liked the reverse hunter thing, where the deer go out and shoot the rednecks. I saw Annabeth playing trivia games and other Brainiac stuff. They had this huge 3D sim game where you could build your own city, and you could actually see the holographic buildings rise on the display board. I didn't think much of it, but Annabeth loved it. I'm not sure when I first realized something was wrong. Probably it was when I noticed the guy standing next to me at the VR sharpshooters. He was about 13, I guess, but his clothes were weird. I thought he was some kind of Elvis impersonator's son. He wore bell-bottom jeans and a red t-shirt with black piping, and his hair was permed and gelled like a New Jersey girl's on homecoming night. We played a game of sharpshooters together, and he said, Groovy, man. Been here two weeks, and the games keep getting better and better. Groovy? Later, while we were talking, I said something was sick, and he looked at me kind of startled like he'd never heard a word used that way before. He said his name was Darren, but as soon as I started asking him questions, he got bored with me and started to go back to the computer screen. I said, Hey, Darren? What? What year is it? He frowned at me. In the game? No, in real life. We had to think about it. 1977. No, I said, getting a little scared. Really? Hey, man. Bad vibes. I got a game happening. After that, he totally ignored me. I started talking to people and found it wasn't easy. They were glued to TV screens or a video game or their food or whatever. I found a guy who told me it was 1985. Another guy told me it was 1993. They all claimed they hadn't been here very long. A few days, a few weeks at most. They didn't know and they didn't really care. Then it occurred to me. How long had I been here? It seemed like only a couple of hours, but was it? I tried to remember why we were here. We were going to Los Angeles. We were supposed to find the entrance to the underworld. My mother, for a scary second, I had trouble remembering her name. Sally. Sally Jackson. I had to find her. I had to stop Hades from causing World War III. I found Annabeth still building her city. Hey, hey, come on, I told her. We gotta get out of here. No response. I shook her. Annabeth? She looked up, annoyed. What? We gotta leave. Leave? What are you talking about? I've just got the towers. This place is a trap. She didn't respond until I shook her again. What? Listen, the underworld. Our quest. Come on, Percy, just a few more minutes. Annabeth, there's people in here from 1977. Kids who have never aged. You check in and you stay forever. So? She asked. Can you imagine a better place? I grabbed her wrist and yanked it away from the game. Hey! She screamed and hit me, but nobody else even bothered to look. They were too busy. I made her look directly into my eyes. I said, Spiders. Large, hairy spiders. That jarred her. Her vision cleared. Oh, my gods, she said. How long have we? I don't know, but we gotta find Grover. We went searching and found him still playing virtual deer hunter. Grover, we both shouted. He said, 
Die, human, die! Silly, polluting, nasty person! Grover? He turned the plastic gun on me and started clicking as if I were just another image from the screen. I looked at Annabeth, and together we took Grover by the arms and dragged him away. His flying shoes sprang to life and started tugging his legs in the other direction as he shouted, No! I just got to a new level! No, don't! The Lotus Bellhop hurried up to us. Well now, you ready for your platinum cards? Uh, we're leaving, I told him. Such a shame, he said, and I got the feeling that he really did mean it. That we were breaking his heart if we went. We just added an entire new floor full of games for platinum card members. He held out the cards, and I wanted one. I knew if I took one, I would never leave. I would stay here, happy forever, playing games forever, and I'd soon forget about my mom and my quest and maybe even my own name. I'd be playing Virtual Rifleman with groovy Disco Darren forever. Grover reached for the card, but Annabeth yanked his arm back and said, No thanks. We walked toward the door, and as we did, the smell of food and the sounds of games seemed to get more and more inviting. I thought about our room upstairs. We could just stay the night, sleep in a real bed for once, and then we burst through the doors of the Lotus Casino and ran down the sidewalk. It felt like afternoon, about the same time of day we'd gone into the casino, but something was wrong. The weather had changed completely. It was stormy, with heat lightning flashing out of the desert. Ares's backpack was slung on my shoulder, which was odd because I was sure I had thrown it in the trash can in room 4001, but at that moment I had other problems to worry about. I ran to the nearest newspaper stand and read the year first. Thank the gods it was still the same year it had been when we went in. And then I noticed the date. June 20th. We had been in the Lotus Casino for five days. We had only one day left until the summer solstice. One day to complete our quest. And that's the end of our chapter. But before you go, please, for one final time, check this out. All right, everyone, there it is. Our final viewing of the trailer for our upcoming Wednesday project. Wednesday at noon Pacific time. This is going to be the after, a sidecar stories fiasco. You can learn about the game fiasco. If you head over, we have got a channel dedicated to it already. You can uh, discuss it, you can ask questions. That is where we're going to be releasing the playset that we're going to be using for that. And I want y'all to know 
you are going to have a chance to impact that story. It is the story of the apocalypse, discovering what the apocalypse was and trying to make our way through it. Fiasco has a habit of telling some really awesome stories, and I'm really excited to see how y'all are going to be able to participate within that. So everyone, our session zero, that is going to be your time to show up, to come hang out and to learn sort of uh, for, for us to set up what the world's going to be like and for y'all to learn how the game works and how our system for y'all to have an impact on that world is going to work. So everyone please come and check that out. Um, I really appreciate y'all bearing with me. I know I played that a couple of times, but like I said, it took me a lot longer than it looks like. It, it, it looks like the sort of thing that shouldn't take very long, but it was like multiple hours of work to get that 60 second video done. <laughs> Memnite says, have you ever seen the 100? Um, I don't believe so. I want to say, it sounds kind of familiar. Like I, I want to say, I remember a little bit about like what it's about. The 100, that's a CW show. Is that correct? Um, uh, set 97 years after a devastating nuclear war wiped out almost all life on Earth. The only known survivors are the residents of 12 space stations in Earth's orbit prior to the war. The space stations banded together to form a single massive station named the Ark. Okay, interesting. So it looks like there's a pretty long one here, but that does look, that looks interesting. Interesting. Resources are scarce. Okay. I tell you what, I had not seen that before, but the, the 100 looks more interesting to me now than it did the last time I was familiar with. Oh, seven seasons of it. That might not be a bad one. Who was it created by? I unfortunately have some some prejudice. I have a hard time watching anything from the CW. Let me see. I don't know. I will, I will take a look at it later. But yeah, the 100. That sounds interesting. Uh, Death Metal Dahlia says... Oh, never mind. It's a, it's a response to somebody else. Uh, Hannah says, looks sick. I'm glad y'all liked it. Yeah, that was our, that's our little teaser. Um, we got another one uh, next week. You can expect on Tuesday, we're going to be dropping our uh, the, the, the playbook that we're going to be using, which includes a lot of the sort of options that, um, for, for those of you who are familiar with Fiasco, um, playbooks will make sense. If not, uh, just go ahead and hang out over in the Discord and check it out. Um, here is the link directly into that channel. Uh, if you want to go ahead and use that, it is right there. You can use that to head on over there. Um, and I've already got, if you scroll up to the top of it, um, I've got just a, a link to like what Fiasco is in general. Um, I'm going to, of course, be linking the uh, the trailer over there if you're curious about that as well, because of course that's going to be important. And then, yeah, we are good. So yes, you will be able to find all things about that in the channel title is the after underscore Fiasco, the dash after underscore Fiasco. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, JCA says, I wish there was more Altered Carbon. It was also a great one. Uh, yeah, Altered Carbon, that was a wild ride for me. I watched Altered Carbon and a couple of the episodes were fantastic. And then a couple of them I thought were like really, really rough. And then a couple of them were pretty neutral. Um, but it was like a, that was a wild ride of, of like <laughs> uh, enjoyment and at other times being like, oh, I wish they had taken a different direction. That sort of thing. I don't know. It's interesting. Rowlett says, I'm only on episode four. Gotcha. Uh, so, Pia, have a great night. Y'all, it's been a lot of fun hanging out with you tonight. Um, let's talk a little bit about our chapter here. We have got... Um, we've got a an interesting spot, um, which I think is going to be the main focus of our discussion, which actually we are running pretty long already, so I don't think I'm going to take too, too long for discussion today. But this Lotus Casino... 
Um, if any of y'all have read uh, The Odyssey, you might be familiar with what this whole thing is stylized after. Um, I am curious that we didn't see, there's a very specific character that I'm surprised we did not encounter um, in this, but maybe we will find them at some other point. If you want to, if you want to Google this, go ahead and Google Lotus Eaters. Um, if you want to find out a little bit more about like, what is this based on? What part of myth is this, is this uh, related to? Um, so yeah, if you want to dig in a little bit more, look up Lotus Eaters. Something to think about, something to keep an eye on. Um, let's see, what is Discord talking about? Something seems like a partnership job. Bearden says, this is just a general Greek myth thing, but why is Achilles son of a sea nymph that is super fast? It'd make more sense if he was super skilled horseman, given the sea connection, no? It would make more sense to me if he were the son of Hermes, god of travelers. Who knows what went on in the heads of ancient Greek people, says Jade. <laughs> Jade essentially says, look, don't, don't read into it too hard. All right, it's not gonna make sense no matter how deep you dive. Um, and I think that's kind of a good point. It speaks to the nature of organic growth with stories. Stories grow really organically. They grow in strange ways. When it comes to Greek myth and just about any other type of myth, any other, um, you know, any other stories told from that era or even, you know, deeper into history, you know, when you, we talk about like holy texts and things like that, um, this this being a religion like any other one, um, those stories develop over time and they, they change in the telling and it's often very, very much colored by, um, colored by and, and flavored by and remixed by the different tellings of those stories. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the various, like, there are... Um, you know, stories in the Bible of of uh, gods, and we can actually trace that the 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 name um, uh, El Shaddai, for instance. We can chase we can chase some of these things way way back and find that they're connected to other myths from you know pre existing periods. And it's really interesting as that story develops. And I'll just say it one more time because I I, I find it really really cool for Rick Reardon. Now, Rick Reardon is going to be a part of how Greek myth continues to propagate throughout the world. I think that's super cool. I think Greek Greek myth, I think uh, Rick Reardon probably has had the most widespread impact now on how these stories will continue to live in the world, and they will be changed in the telling of it. I think if we fast forward 100, 200 years in the future, um, we're going to find that the the stories of Greek myths, like people's understanding of them, there will there will of course be you know um, historians who are able to trace back like what stuff is is proper Greek myth and what stuff is you know the Rick Reardon remix, uh, the triple R if you will, the R cube. You won't, you shouldn't. Um, but Rick Reardon, like he has got a permanent place in that lineage of this Greek mythology storytelling. Death Metal Dahlia says, oh, very interesting, Sam. Just looked it up and a very interesting archetypal concept that I see evolved into a more nuanced take on social apathy. Um, let's see. I, th I feel like I missed something in there. I'm, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time hunting down like the, the subject and the object. Just looked it up and a very interesting archetypal concept that I see evolved, uh, that I see evolved into more nuanced takes on social apathy. Give me a little bit more. I'm curious. You've given me the teaser, right? You've you've shown me the teaser, Dahlia. Reel me in. The Lotus Eaters. Oh, I see. Okay, I got you. Okay, so the the Lotus Eaters themselves are sort of um, uh, analogous to like social apathy. And interesting, interesting. And it's definitely. I mean, Rick Riordan did pick some very interesting concepts to um, to tempt our characters with, right? Uh, games um, and I think overall just entertainment right I think that's sort of the 
that is the that's the the main line there right when if we consider you know this island of the lotus eaters concept to be related specifically to something along the lines of like um you know like so social apathy i think what are we paying attention to instead of paying attention to what is happening in society around us i think it is very much based on entertainment we 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 flock toward entertainment and in doing so we we can sort of choose like annabeth does for a few moments before percy's really able to snap her out of it and and like percy was before and like grover continues to do after that um we can choose to sort of like bury our heads in the sand or in the sand castle or in the sandbox game um bury a head in the sandbox that's not a bad one somebody somebody trademark that um we can choose to do that and i think uh, it's interesting that that I think it's especially interesting that Rick Reardon would have put this in a casino. I think that's a really great sort of um, distraction because there there is actually like a, a science to this. For some of you who don't know, uh, casinos are designed in such a way, uh, both the lighting and tinted windows and the actual architecture and, and floor layout of casinos is designed such that you don't have a clear perception of, of how time is passing outside. It's designed such that when you get in there, you start to lose track of time a little bit. If you look around a casino, you're not going to see prominently displayed clocks. Um, you are not necessarily like your you, the the doors are going to be slightly more difficult to find than your average building, um, and uh, you will have a nearly impossible time without a clock, unless you have like a, a watch or a clock on you. You're going to have a nearly impossible time seeing what time of day it is because they don't do windows, and if they do, they're massively tinted and sort of like around corners and such. JCA says, do you think uh, Rick added this as part of foreshadowing to real life? I think it's an, uh, an observation. I don't think it's necessarily foreshadowing um, as much as Rick Reardon's observation that it's happening right now. And by right now, I mean, uh, I want to say, ooh, was it 2004 when this was released? I think so. Percy Jackson, lightning thief. Was that right? Please tell me I got it right. Uh, release date. Oh, good Lord. 2010? Is that the, this is the, is this the film or the, yeah, that's, that looks like the film. I want the book. I want the book, obviously. Based on the 2005 novel. Dang it. So close. Sander, I hope you have a good night. Have a good one. Thanks for stopping in. I'll see you later on. Um, yeah, so that is a, it is a it is a a very odd thing, but I think you know seeing this already starting in you know not not starting in two thousand and five, I think it was well underway in two thousand and five. Um, I think you know the timeline here where it mentions like the sixties and the seventies, like or I, just, I think it mentions the seventies and the eighties um, as being times when like there are people in there. We don't really see people from earlier than that, and I think that's a pretty reasonable estimate for when. When we as a when we as a country, re it really feels like we we went toward entertainment as like the thing that is going to occupy us. Consider the the massive industries built up around entertainment. Consider the the ways where entertainment and um, ha has sort of pervaded everything. Think about think about the ways that you are educated. Do you often? Um, and, and some of you folks who are a little older can try to compare this to when you were younger. Um, I think I'm just like on the very cusp of it. Consider entertainment, but specifically edutainment. This idea that, you know, there, you know, when you were learning something, 
uh, that you are also being entertained at the same time, as opposed to just learning the thing. Um, obviously, this has existed for a long time, but think of the shift in the way that people have been learning things um, uh, in uh, for leisure. When people learned things for leisure like 10 years ago, 10, 20 years ago, um, they would seek it out and they would just learn that thing. More often nowadays, it seems like we've got, uh, I think YouTube channels are a great way, are like a great spot to to identify this sort of trend. It seems like if you're going to learn something, there's some demand that you also be entertained at the same time. I, I, I think about things like um, Smarter Every Day and uh, there's a there's a, a one with a German sounding name, Kurzgesagt. Oh boy, I could not pronounce it if I tried. Kurzgesagt. What is this? What is that YouTube channel? Someone help me out. I put an X in there. I know that's not right. Uh, Kurz, Kurzgesagt. I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce this word. K U R Z G E S A G T. Somebody tell me how to pronounce that name. Um, Kurzgesagt. Kurzgesagt. Thank you, Dahlia. You've done what you can. <laughs> you, there's no rescuing me from this one. Um, uh, same as also this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I definitely like. I am. I'm. I'm part of that sort of tradition of like. I think there's a different expectation on how people learn things. Um, you wanna. You wanna. You wanna learn something, but you wanna be entertained at the same time. And um, that's just in education. Like that's just in in education and learning. Think about the areas where you know people have turned entirely to entertainment um, uh, with, with no educational element involved with, you know, uh, I, I think there's more of a focus on that in people's lives. I think, you know, people socialize a lot more based around things like the entertainment that you have been partaking in. Um, the, as, as I mentioned, massive, massive industries built up around it. I think there's, I think it, it, it's, Rick Reardon identifying something that had already been happening in 2005 that has continued a, a long way. And I think, you know, if, if Rick Reardon were to do this again, uh, let's see, 15 years later now, I think, I think it would, I, I think it might be, it might look a little different, but I, cause I think this casino idea, I think casinos are kind of on their way out. Um, I could be wrong about that. I have not done any research into it. This is just sort of my general perception. I think casinos are kind of on their way out, but we can see what the intent here was, right? To to really emphasize the ways in which we're sort of distracting ourselves and we feel comfortable doing it. We feel more comfortable than we do, you know, really paying attention to the world around us. Gwendog says, I would have got a lot more out of high school in this day and age when I was in school. I graduated high school in 98. Interesting. Why do you say that, Gwendog? How so? Uh, Memnite says something called clip culture, which I've never heard that phrase before. What does that mean, Memnite? Rollet says, uh, first of all, Rollet laughs at me, but then says, but I do love that channel. It's great. Highly recommend. As do I. I'm really enjoying um, a lot of the discoveries being made around space travel, space exploration, space uh, possibly settlement. Um, it's a, you know, a long horizon kind of thing, but I'm hoping I can see like a permanent base on the moon at some point during my lifetime. I think that would be awesome. Um, 
but yeah, they've they've got some great uh, some great videos on there about just sort of like what if uh, answering big questions. Some of them you might not even realize that you have until you see them over there. Um, it's a it is a fantastic channel. Okay, everyone. Let's go say hi to Mr. Halfbit, shall we? And I hope you all have an excellent week. I will see you next Tuesday for Vintage Sidecar. I'll see you on Wednesday for Session Zero of the After. I'll see you on Thursday for Flying Sidecar once more. Y'all, I love you. I'll see you later. I just forgot you actually have to opt into that, and then we go. So I still do love you. I still will see you later. But now we're just going to sit here sort of like awkwardly. Actually, no, we're not. They're out in the darkness. A fugitive running, fallen from grace, fallen from grace. You are the sentinels, silent and sure. I've got my verses confused. Keeping watch in the night, keeping watch in the night. You know your place in the sky. You hold your course and your aim, and each in your season returns and returns, and is always the same. And if you fall as Lucifer fell, you fall in flame. I really want to sing more of this song. Bye. One more time. One more time.